Wouldn't it be amazing if you could find American Songwriter Magazine's top five podcast for the week every Sunday? Well, fortunately, you can. And if you want the top five podcast episodes from American Songwriters Network delivered to your inbox every Sunday, then subscribe to the Suncast newsletter by visiting americansongwriter.com slash suncast. That's americansongwriter.com slash suncast. Hey, everybody. Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List. Join us on a deep dive into the heart of what makes writing songs and making music so magical. Let's find out what makes songwriters tick, and along the way, remember why we love music. Welcome to Pitch List. Hey, Chris Lindsay here. Welcome to part three of our music business series. Today we have a special guest, a man near and dear to me and my family. He and his organization have worked tirelessly for songwriters through the years. Against all odds, he has fought and won David and Goliath battles against the giant media companies. He navigates the politics of Washington, D.C. and the streets of Music Row with ease. And if I ever need to know what's going on in the song world, he's my first call. Here's Bart Herbison. Good afternoon. Chris Lindsay here with another Zoom edition of Pitch List. Today we have a uh, great guest, a guy I've known for a long time, who's just a friend of the family, uh, just a wonderful person who does great things for songwriters. Today we got Bart Herbison from NSAI. How are you, Bart? Appreciate it, my brother. And for those that don't know, the Nashville Songwriters Association. And I'm going to be honest with you. They put the international on there before I ever got there because we had chapters over there. I don't think we really like that these days, but I looked into removing it. And it was going to be about a quarter million dollars to get it off of all of our stuff. So we are still NSAI, Chris. <laughs> well, just for every, I mean, I assume everybody knows because you're so prominent here in town. But we have a lot of people listening to the podcast who are, are not in Nashville. Can you can you just give us a quick, you know, core mission of NSAI and that kind of I'm sure you can give. Well, us no, I don't do anything quickly. So bear with okay. me. I want to no, tell the story no, of how we were founded. It's 1967. There's only 80 songwriters in Nashville. Total 80. There will be 80 in our building when it's closed during COVID. I think there's probably 80,000 that have come and tried at any given. We were the idea of a man named Eddie Miller, and he believed the profession of songwriter needed songwriting needed a voice. He convinced 41 others, you know, a lot of great writers, Johnny Scoggins, Mary John Wilkin, Danny Dill, Chris Christofferson, to form this trade association for songwriters. Some very important members were Liz and Casey Anderson and Felice and Budlo Bryant, because they were also having pop success and they were connected to the writers in California. So our very first advocacy effort was to get the songwriters' names on records, Chris. It happened sometimes, but it wasn't an industry practice. We worked on it for four years. And it was different then because you could write a song, Chet or Owen, Chet Atkins or Owen Bradley could hear it. It'd get cut that week and be out in two weeks. So you had to get the label copy. You had to get the labels to print it. But we managed to do that. And in 1970, we became known globally for that. I think the songwriters involved also understood that if they were smart, focused, and approached advocacy as a business, they could change some things. So that's the core of our mission. But through the years, a lot of cool, fun stuff has evolved. We've got 80 chapters around the world. We have 100 before COVID. When we reopen, we'll have more than that again. And they meet in local communities throughout the world, and they each speak songwriter. They listen to each other's songs. They promote each other. And a lot of these members aren't necessarily trying to be professional songwriters. They've just dug it and done it since high school. So it's a local group of songwriters. We put on the largest songwriters festival in the world, Tin Pan South. We have lots of cool programs and services, including the Nashville Songwriter Awards, and since 2006, we're the proud owners of the legendary Bluebird Cafe. 
That's the short version, Chris. <laughs> well, and guess what? I think I'm a lifetime member of NSAI. That's right. And I, I didn't, I think I knew the Bluebird thing. I didn't know the credits. I didn't know the credits. Yeah. Very first thing we did. And most recently, we were instrumental along with the National Music Publishers Association in passing the Music Modernization Act. Yes. They're the ones, along with NMPA again, that took on Apple, Amazon, Pandora, Spotify, and Google back, what, eight years ago in a big copyright royalty board proceeding. And we won the largest digital pay raise ever, 43.8% for streaming mechanical royalties for songwriters. It's been appealed, so a lot of songwriters aren't seeing that today. It's still not enough. But that's what we do. We're songwriter advocates. Yeah, and... Yeah, we're going to move along to that. The Music okay. Modernization Act. So, again, I hadn't heard the figures. So, you guys got a 43% bump in. Well, no, that, and a lot of people are confused about yeah, that. And I've realized, Chris, that I've got some work to do. That was in the trial. So, let's take the Music Modernization Act first. Okay. Music Modernization Act does not change any royalties for songwriters. It changes the way they're set. So we will get much more fair royalties going forward. We haven't even been able to use them in a proceeding yet. Songwriters get two royalties, a performance when their song is performed anywhere live or whether it's streamed on television or on the radio. Those old antiquated rules were through the U.S. Department of Justice and ASCAP and BMI have to go to rate courts. And so they were very unfair. We didn't get to look at what the market would pay. We didn't get to look at outside deals that the market would pay. Now it's required. We get to do that going forward. And ASCAP and BMI had the same judges appointed for life. One of them, in my view, is very unfriendly to us. And you're kind of tied to what the other judge does. So now, if and when we have rate proceedings in the future, it's called the wheel. You spin a wheel in U.S. District Court in the Southern District of New York. And I think it's fair to both sides, Chris. We get a different judge every time. Okay. So we'll see when we test drive that. But we're bound to do better under the new rules of what the judges even get to consider. The other royalty is a mechanical royalty. That was always for a unit sold, whether it was, you know, a, a album back to 78 RPM records, then tapes and CDs. Well, physical products don't count for much anymore. But the whole idea was the reason we got paid more for a mechanical royalty, Chris, is because the listener could control it. If it was a performance royalty on the radio, we were at the whim of the disc jockey. We might hear Amazed, song you co-wrote, and we might not. But if we bought the physical product, we could play it a million times and there was a higher rate. So if it's internet radio that you don't control, we only get a performance. But if it's interactive streaming where you get to control your playlist, we get a performance and a mechanical. We are entering a new proceeding on that. The 43.8% was before we changed the Music Modernization Act. We killed it in a trial, again, against Apple, Amazon, Pandora, Spotify, and Google. They've appealed it. I think we're going to win that appeal, but next time, which has already started, and songwriters testify next April 2022, we get to new, use these new rules, which account for what deals record labels get, what other private market deals get, and I believe we're bound to get another pay raise. So the Music Modernization Act changed the process. We won a big raise under the old rules, and now we get to try out the new ones in the next process. That's amazing. You explained something. I've done this a long time. Mechanicals go when you have the piece of music that you control. When you control it, it's interactive. The listener gets to so like, I can go to internet radio when I want to hear, you know, Taylor Swift's blank space. Mm -hmm. Well, they may play it once and then there's rules where I don't get to hear it again for a long time. It sounds like this. I want to hear that song by Taylor. And you know me. Back in 45s, I literally would burn the vinyl up in a week and go have to buy another copy. But when it's interactive streaming, when you control the playlist, you can listen to it as many times as you want. And our mechanical royalties are higher always when the listener controls it. Yeah, that completely makes sense, man. Let's talk about this because I think it'd be a good time to do it. Sure. 
your personal background, which makes you so good at all this. And from what I, what I think I understand from talking to you through the years, you had some involvement in Congress, right? Legislation. Well, let's go back further because I'm proud of my very words. Please, tell, give us the story. Billy Pullen, my late uncle, Billy Pullen. I'm not sure that I'm even as big a music fan. We lived in rural West Tennessee. He was from Cottage, T's, not L's, not College, Cottage Grove near Paris over in West Tennessee. And I was four or five years old, and he called me Barty. He said, Barty, listen to this. He was just a few years older than me. And the first one was, That's When Your Heartaches Begin by Elvis. And I was hooked. Little secret, I've got TCB, Elvis's logo, with a lightning bolt tattooed on my left shoulder. And I became an Elvis fan, and I became a music fan, thanks to my Uncle Billy. At age 16, another kid that I went to high school with got a job on the local radio station. So did I. So at age 16, I was a high-voice DJ in Paris, Tennessee. And we had two stations. We had a pop gospel station on one side. It was AM. And on the other side, country, except on Friday and Saturday nights when we turned it to album-oriented rock. I grew up and loved it all. And that was my beginnings. I also got lucky when I was about 17 or 18, being part of a syndicated program that NBC did back then. Sort of like the King Biscuit Flower Hour, where they would focus on tonight, four hours with Pink Floyd. There was a concert outfitting place in West Tennessee. I got involved with them, so... They gave me time off school to go on tour with rock bands. I was there the first show Journey ever played, on and on and on, and I did those interviews for a while. Finally, Chris, because it paid more money, I became a news director and a reporter. And that's where I got close with Don Ridgway, who was the House Majority Leader in the Tennessee Legislature, and a guy named Ned McWhorter was running for governor. He won He brought me to Tennessee as his deputy director of communications. I had a big job overseeing 29 state departments and agencies, the media. I was the number two person in the press office. And I did that from a quarter. I came to town with him. He was already there in the state legislature. And a couple of years later, the U.S. congressman from Nashville, Bob Clement, walked into our office and needed some help. I went out and helped him on a thing. He didn't have a press person with him. Pretty soon, I made a big leap to move to Washington and become his press secretary. Biggest mistake I ever made is I'd never visited the town. Mm-hmm. That's another whole set of stories like rent cost what? And then here's where it comes into play, Chris. I At first, Bob gave me the job and I turned it down. So I said, I can do the press, but I want to do your music issues. Well, Bart, that's not how it works. We have legislative aides that do that, and it's somebody else's job. I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to pass. Shortly after that, he offered me the music issues, too. I'd been there days, and two guys you know, a great songwriter named Peter McCann yep. and a music publisher named Kevin Lamb made my first music appointment. They were there representing the Nashville Songwriters Association. They probably thought the meeting went horrible. I don't even remember what they were talking about. I grew up with a famous songwriter named Jimmy Stewart. Brotherly love, a little less talk. He was from my hometown. Always close to Jimmy. Always fascinated that he could make this stuff up out of thin air. And DJs read the liner notes. I looked at the musicians, but I wanted to know who the songwriters were. So that day I'm like, NSAI does what? And I ask over and over, like, y'all do what? You have membership and what? I said a prayer that day, Chris. Lord, let this be my next job. Ten years later, it was, and that was 24 years ago. Wow. That's why I'm here today. That's my path. That's crazy. And you know what? But what's so great, what makes you so perfect, man, you have a background. You have been in D.C. You know how that whole thing works. Well, honestly, if I'm if I'm perfect, it's because I'm the world's biggest fanboy and get paid for it, Chris. I'm a song geek. Well, you know that. Yeah, me too. And I mean, <laughs> you know, but that's that's what makes you great at something. Well, thank you. Appreciate if, it. If you're passionate about it, you know, that's what we always say on the podcast. If if you truly write what you love, that's your that's your yeah. own shots. You know, you're not gonna 
imitate something. And, and well, a lot of people help me. Jennifer Turnbow does this. We're governed by, uh, she's our senior, she's our chief operating officer. She does all the advocacy work with me and runs a lot of the day-to-day operations. But I also credit two things. I credit Eddie Miller and those founders because they set this up in a way that, that they would have never envisioned. We wouldn't work if we did this out of D.C. Mm-hmm. We're grassroots. Right. I'm in the room with the songwriters every day. We know the problems years before we go to the Hill to try to solve them. And we've had great presidents, including our last two who have governed NSAI for 15 years, Lee Thomas Miller and the legendary Steve Bogart. Mm-hmm. We've got this great board. You know, we've got um, 27 songwriters, and that's why we're successful. And it goes back to what Eddie Miller and the original founders envisioned, Chris. So I credit them. Yes, and you're modest, but I credit Well, I credit I'll take you. some credit because it's aged me, and the Music Modernization yeah, Act was yeah. tough and brutal. But I am being genuine. I'm not being self-effacing. I mean, I couldn't do what I do if I hadn't inherited the way some songwriters thought it should be done and where it should be done. Look, LA's got some songwriter groups. New York has some, and I, I pay homage to them, but they're not Nashville. There's not a community of songwriters. I don't think a lot of songwriters really realize how important what y'all do is. I, that's all I'm saying. I mean, it, well, I'll, I'll bring up a point here. Songwriters cannot have a union legally. And they go, we need a union. We are your union. And let me point something out. Unions typically bargain for a collective wage. Should every songwriter be paid the exact same wage, a minimum wage, or is it partly based on your success? Should you be able to negotiate in the market? My suggestion is the latter works more effectively. The other things unions do besides a collective wage is to change the rules. And we have been very effective at that. And I'll, I'll tell a little joke here, Chris. We laid groundwork for my first 20 years here and the, and the, the, the people that founded it for 25 years before that. And it got to be a point, oh, my God, here comes Herbison. He wants two things. He's going to ask for money to fund this, and he's going to tell us what he's going to do. But we had a vision, partly that I inherited, Chris, and it paid off with the Music Modernization Act, with the Copyright Royalty Board trial, and a half dozen other things that have or are coming to fruition right now. Mm-hmm. We worked for years, and we're not done yet, Chris. The way I look at it, the Music Modernization Act was two or three steps forward, but it's a new beginning for us. I'll credit the National Music Publishers Association and David Israelite and other songwriter groups, but especially the NMPA. They are making a lot of social media platforms pay us. Twitch, Roblox in the gaming world. You're going to hear some news about some other big social media platforms that we're going to be going after. We're just getting started, Chris. That's awesome. We're just getting started. Well, let's take this more down to the ground level because I know, sure. I know a lot of people listening. We, we have a lot of people who listen to Pitch List who may not live in Nashville or they just moved to Nashville. And I know for me, when I meet a, a brand new writer, I often, and they ask me, well, what do I do? How do I do it? And, and I'll give them specific advice, but I always tell them to go over and see you guys. Right. Because I... I just, I know that's the right thing, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what, say I just moved to town this week and, you know, nobody knows me. I can't get arrested. I can't even, you know, how, how does NSAI work with that? And, 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 you know, you know what I'm asking. Well, I'll give you two or three minutes on it. And usually that writer does not want to hear what I have to say. This happened with some big artists. It's happened with every successful writer, you know, because they come to us first. Right. So the very first thing I tell them is don't be in love with your own songs. And they're not as good as you think they are. <laughs> and even if they're great, you have to find a balance. People, people don't like the word commercial. And I would never suggest to any songwriter to sell out their true identity and what they want to say passionately. But there's rules, Chris. And even with streaming, if the songwriter does not get a hit single, you're done. You can't pay your bills. You can't pay the family bills. So you have to know what the parameters are in radio. 
I'll give you some tough love. Pretend like you're the new songwriter. Chris, yeah. do you know every single artist on country radio? Yeah. Every artist. Yeah. No, no, good Lord. Well, then go home. Go home. And they look at me and I'm like, because your competition does. Right. In fact, they know who Warner Brothers is signed that's not out yet. That's right. Do you know the differences in the performing rights societies? Do you know the difference in mechanical royalties and performance royalties? We give them, there's a great writer named Jim Riley that wrote an article for us called the reality check. And we still use that template and we kick your butt. If you say you want to be a professional songwriter, if you're an independent touring artist, it's a different spiel. We give you, if you're a hobbyist, something very different. And then I tell them this. So Chris, who's your dream writer? Who do you want to write with? Um, it's out there right now having success. Uh, well, back in the day when I was starting, it was Wiseman, Craig Wiseman. Okay, Craig Wiseman, you're probably never going to write with him until you're successful. And that's not going to do a damn thing for you except embarrass you and hurt your feelings. Right. Here's what you do. And here's the illustration I give. When we're open live, which we will be again, hopefully next year, we have a workshop every Thursday night at NSAI. Mm -hmm. The most popular one is pitch to publisher. A noted publisher comes over and everybody gets to play a verse chorus of their song. And no matter what I tell them, no matter how much they study, no matter how smart and how realistic they are, every one of those writers thinks that verse chorus I'm going to play, that publisher's going to sign me tomorrow. They're going to stop the album they're working on. That's going to be the next cut. It's never going to happen because that's not how it works. Here's what I tell them. And can I tell you the three songwriters out of the hundred there that night who are going to be successful and get a publishing deal and have hits? Mm -hmm. They're not worried about the song they play. They don't even play it. They turn their chair around. And the hundred songs that will be played that night, and I'll say this, the songs have gotten way better over the years. In the early days, 50 of them would make me cringe. There's right. not many of those now. But half of them are okay but I've heard it a million times before publishers don't need it. 2030 are pretty good. And maybe if you had a publishing deal or you were writing it with the artist, you'd have a chance. 10 are unbelievable, unbelievable. Wow. And I turn my chair around and I look for those 10 people and I follow them out in the lobby and I shake their hand and go, I want to meet you. And if you've done this a little while, but even if you got gumption, you can figure out the three, that are so focused on this, yep. they aren't going to be a model a week later, or they're not going to get train wrecked and they're going to persevere. That's what you need to do every Thursday night, because you're going to have success with your classmates, the ones yep. coming up with you. And here's what happens, Chris. So let's pretend you met Craig Wiseman when he was a drummer just up here living in a blue van from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, couldn't get arrested. Which but you was. see, that's exactly right. And so you see that he's got something. Let me interrupt my own self. It ain't about how good the songs are. In today's market, with only five or six record labels and songs staying on the radio for up to a year, they all got to be good. And every writer, mine's so good. That's only your starting point. That just gets you your piece to put on the Monopoly board. Then it's looking who's going north. You write as many songs with a lot of people and you start discerning after about a year. That's a great writer. We write well together, but I'm wasting my time because they're drinking all the time or they're chasing men or women or they're going to be a writer one day and they're going to be an architect the next. You figure out who's headed north. And here's what happens, Chris. And Nicole Gallion told me this story better than anybody I've ever heard. She's writing with all these people. Nobody can, anything's happening with any of them, but then one of them gets signed. Then one of them gets an artist deal. And guess whose name is on those songs they brought over in the first place? Nicole Gallion, Nicole Gallion, Nicole Gallion. You run in the right circles. You don't have to get an appointment with the publisher. They're going to call you. The yep. best writers in town, they don't have to call Bart Herbison or NSAI. I already know about it. We talk to the other co-writers. So find your tribe, which is what Barry Dean says, mm -hmm. and then reassess your tribe every year. 
Come to NSAI and turn that chair around. Don't wonder what a publisher is going to say about your song because it ain't that great yet. See who you want to collaborate with. Write, write, write with the right people, right people, right people, and you will follow the suction into your own publishing deal. That's the best advice I can give you, along with be open-minded. Songwriters that come to this town and they're all in love with their own stuff and can't take criticism, you got to go home. And then, like I said earlier, learn about your industry. If I want to be an architect, there's a new way to insert glass into skyscrapers. I've got to know that. I've got to know what the foundation types are in buildings in Middle Tennessee. I tell people two things, Chris, and I'll shut up after this because I love to give this sort of advice. And I heard Jody Williams say this, the great publisher and the great head of BMI's creative for so many years, who I love that man. He said, first six months or year in town, get your life straightened out. Don't, don't come see me. Don't come see Bart. Don't even co-write. Get a place to live. Be able to pay for it. If you've got spirituality, find your church home. Learn how to navigate. Learn how to live in this town and pay your bills because that kills a lot of songwriters' dreams, too. So that's the piece of advice. Then learn your craft and find your posse. It's that simple. Hard as hell to do it, but those are the simple rules. And especially this generation, instant gratification on social media, got to jump ahead, got to jump ahead, got to jump ahead. Even if you have some success jumping ahead, you will go down pretty quickly because you don't know the fundamentals. I agree. I say it all the time. Even if you were to get in a room that just got you a hit, you're in a worse position now because you're going to get pulled into another room and they're going to expect you to be able to right. do that you don't know how to do. And I'll say this, the, the king is your idea. Yep. And put that idea on trial. If it's been done a million times, figure out a different way to do it. We lost somebody in the war. We're sad. We're grieving. Or I drive your truck. Right. right. Get what I'm saying? Figure out a different way to do it. And that's, that's the way that this always works. Harlan Howard told me the same story 20 years ago, and it hasn't changed a bit. Don't go away. Pitch List will be right back after the break. Do you remember Johnny Slate? I know, API. I know Johnny Slate well. That was my first deal. And uh, Johnny said two things that were great. One, he said, Write your songs and walk away. And that's what you said in the very beginning. Don't fall in love with your songs. If you got a great one, it's going to rise to the top. And keep in your pocket. But But you can't fall in love with every song. And the other thing he said that's been the most helpful to me through my entire career, he said, however honest you can be about your song is how good it can be. Well, who was it? To be honest. It was a female writer. I can't remember who it was, so I want to attribute it. We're having a seminar about eight years ago, and she calls on 10 volunteers. Well, they all jump up on stage, and she says, I want you to tell me the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you in your life that you've never even told your parents or your husband. Nine of them went and sat down. She goes, well, go sit down. I understand if you don't want to do it. Before that other person revealed what they were going to say, I I don't know. I don't want to name a name. I think I know who it was. She said, that's the one songwriter that's going to make it right there. Now that may be a little harsh of an example, but you've got to be able to channel the feelings you had, the honesty, the pain. And then when you become great, you can adapt it. You can adapt it, but you've got to feel that feeling, man. You got to write your truth. You got to be able to be comfortable with opening a vein in front of people you don't know. That's what happens in a co-write. You get in this room and after a while you get to where you love it and you crave it because it's free therapy, but it, but it is difficult for people in the beginning to just say, well, cause you know what? The audience that listens to music is no different than the people that write it. They know what bullshit when they hear it. And so if you're not saying something true, and I mean, really true, even in fiction, it has to be true. um, They'll know it. They'll, they'll, they'll smell it. That's exactly right. Um, but that, yeah, that's really, really great, great advice. Um, and you there's guys, one other tip and, and yeah, please, tell I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure I'm completely right about this in the digital era, but I think I am. 
these young writers come to see me and I will say this, some of them blow me away. These young artist writers, I'm like, that would have taken 20 years of blood in my generation, but it's amazing. I'm putting it out on Spotify next week and I go, why? They're going to get 2000 streams. Right. Some record label's not going to find them because of that. And when you get that moment for the meeting with the publisher, who, by the way, are the new record labels, they do the A&R development. And most artists get signed by a publisher first. I'm not saying it should be that way. I'm telling you the way it is. Yeah. I love this song. I think we can do something with it. So when you sign a publishing deal, they're essentially giving you $1 million. Now, your draw may be 20 grand. But they're paying for the building, they're paying for their staff time, and you're taking up a spot. It's a big financial commitment to a music publisher. When you get signed to a record label, add the promotion costs, they are committing $3 million in time and money. And so you've got to have quality stuff. You've got to be at a certain level. But often it's on one or two or three songs they hear that go. Because you know what they want? And the kids tell me they want this and they want this work ethic. They want to make money. Right. This is the music business and there's nothing wrong with that. Wow. Now, sometimes it gets wrong, but that's the whole ultimate goal. And so do you. So I tell them, I love this song. Well, I've had it out on Spotify for a year. Next. Why would they put that money in releasing the single you put out for self-indulgent reasons? Put stuff out. But if you've got two or three, you know, or deal making, I wouldn't put them out because I am buying a product that you've already given away. That's my theory. And you may have psychologically affected their thought process of, well, you know, he's been he's been product testing this thing and nothing happened. I'm just saying you've got yeah, they're, I they're always I, I think of it and I I won't name her. But for about eight years, I've been working with this unbelievable female artist writer. Finally called me the other day and got, I went, that's amazing. She goes, I'm not putting that out. She finally got it because, look, I'm not being critical. I'm being helpful. Mm -hmm. In the instant gratification, social media age, get your gratification. But don't give away your show horse. Just saying. Yeah. Or... Don't give away your show her horse first. There you go. Give it to somebody that's going to pay you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hit some publishers up. Hit Go find Scott Bruschetta and give it to him. Or, you know, if you get to where you're still not getting the response you want, then if you want to put it out. I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't know if it's true, but have people, independent artists have gotten traction on, on Spotify, right? Well, that's different. If you are making a living, if you're the new Jason Isbell, and Spotify and other things are helping you book live shows. Different equation. But if your goal is that top record deal and publishing deal, I would be very careful about the product I choose. And most of the kids in Nashville aren't making a living out on the road. They may play a gig or two here. And Nashville's the worst town in the world to get paid as an artist because... It's yeah. about opportunities. It's about whatever. It's hard to do. You can make a few hundred bucks, but I'm just saying, be cautious and ask yourself that question, you know? Yeah. Well, and also when they do get signed to a major label, the first thing that happens is they yank down everything they've got, right? Yeah. They're, yeah. they're going to gather everything else you got and, and get rid of it because they need a clean slate. Another thing I've seen recently I was working with a young female artist writer yesterday and I need to send you, I, she's in a different headspace too. And it all starts with the song. We own the trademark. I don't have it here in front of me. It all begins with the song and it does. It does. Are you good looking? Can you perform? Stand in line with the other 10,000 people just like you. Mm -hmm. It's your songs. It's your songs. Ask Taylor Swift, it's the songs. Oh, absolutely. So she's like, let me send you my latest 20. I said, that's not what I asked for. I asked for your best, most commercial 20 that reflects what you want to say and who you are. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, there's some of that early stuff. So it goes back to the first thing I said. Don't fall in love with the last thing you wrote. Right. Heard Chuck Cannon say, we've got a movie called It All Begins With The Song on Amazon. Mm -hmm. I'm an associate producer. You should watch it if you haven't. What did Chuck say? He goes, 
the three greatest songs ever written, most songwriters would tell you are Bridge Over Troubled Water. I forgot the second one he named and the one I wrote yesterday. <laughs> Be careful about that, you know. It's true. For everybody yeah. listening, they probably know. But yeah, yeah. you always think uh, Amy makes fun of me. She'll say it at a dinner party. Chris thinks everything he writes is a hit. And I'm like, yeah, I do. I wouldn't have written it if I didn't think so. I know it's not. I know they're all not hits, but I, I don't really want to, if I don't. Yeah, but I'll say something different between you and a lot of young writers. At some point, you know what is at least potentially can be a hit. Yeah. You know, you, you, you get on an idea and after a while, how many times have you heard say that wasn't working? So after lunch, we, right. you know, and you got to get that, you got to get into that radar ability too. you got to look at it and go, I'm not sure why we're spending time on this or I'm not going to demo it or, you know, yeah. but after a while you've done it long enough to, yeah. you throw enough darts, you learn, you at least hit the board every you do and you know which dark alleys to stay out of yeah, pretty yeah. much um you know you can run down a song and maybe you got three quarters of that song done and then something happens a new title pops out that's better right or and, and then you're like well we're scrapping that we're rolling some of the younger writers will start freaking out on you they're you know wait 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 we, we're almost finished here i'm like no well work ethic's important too yeah. so we used to say we start at the crack of nine o'clock <laughs> then it was we started the crack of 11 now one o'clock and you got to go by three that's fine yeah. but i'm going to tell you something there's a couple over here next door that are taking every bit of this advice and they'll do two co-writing appointments a day i get that it's different mm -hmm. this is hard yeah. it's damn hard there's fewer spots than there have ever been that's right and so just pay attention to that and the shelf life is shorter yeah. so work ethic understanding your industry, listening to what we're telling you, not falling in love with your last song. I call putting it on trial. I'll tell you a little trick. You want to see how good your song is storyboard it. And I don't mean write out everything, just put the basic storyboard on it. Mm -hmm. And I've had a lot of young writers do this. I have this one female writer and I think it changed her career. She came back and went, I get it. It ain't that good. I went, no, it never was. It ain't special. That's for sure. Right. When you say storyboarding, you mean like draw out the basic scenes? Draw it out like a little cartoon thing. So-and-so meets so-and-so. And about about the fourth panel, mm -hmm. it tells you something, Chris. Yeah, like it's the same story over and over. It's the same story or it's, do I give a damn about this story? <laughs> that's know? what I get into. Or where's the story going? It didn't yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, know? that's the one thing I find in some co-writes where, where if I'm like hesitant, I'm I'm in that position of saying, no, I get it. I get it. But I don't, I don't, does anybody give a shit about that? I don't, I don't mm -hmm. think they do. And here's another thing you got to understand. Wayne Carson, the late Wayne Carson, Hall of Fame writer, you know, five of his songs. Tia Sillers, the late Mark Selby, Hall of Fame songwriters, you know, four or five of their songs. Now they had a hundred cuts and they made a living. Those special creations, Nolan Ryan had the most no hitters ever. Over what 35 year career? Seven. Mm -hmm. You've got to pay attention. You've got to have them all at this level, but also understand you've got to write that thousand songs to get there, trouble, or I hope you dance. It's true. It's true. And there's no, uh, there's that whole 10,000 hour thing, which is, a, it is probably right on the money for our business. And the other thing you said that doesn't get said enough and really resonates with me, it, it is hard, man. It's hard. There's only so many spots and there's a lot of carnage along the way. Forget all the what's up, what's stacked against you. Mm -hmm. The act, the actual act of writing a song and finishing it hurts your head. Okay? It does. And especially something special, yeah. you know, maybe the greatest songwriter ever. I love to have this arguments, Bobby Braddock in our genre. And he, I, I don't know if he started it, but he's the first one that, I asked him one day, I said, what should I say to these kids? Ask them if they've written a hundred songs. And if they haven't, say, you're not a songwriter. And it took me a long time, even in my career as the director of the largest songwriters association to really understand the profound wisdom behind that. There's not something magic, Chris, that happens between song number 97 and 100. It's what you learn along the way. 
Yeah. It's the different people you meet. And there's, there's another criticism is you get stuck with the same three or four co-writers. Now that may happen later on. You have to be discerning who you give your time to when you're a professional like you, but you know, date a lot of people before you get married because you're not going to learn anything from a textbook that you're going to learn in that writer's room. And that's what Braddock meant. You're going to learn tricks. You're going to learn what, you know, a book ending chorus means you're going to learn. She put her damn name in the song. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to learn what put a Eric Hamilton switch two words. I still see the, I still see her autumn hair in the Auburn sky. Mm -hmm. It was those two words that got my attention. You know, and that's what you learn in your hundred appointments and you learn about the business a lot. So that's the point. Yeah. And you, there's, there are many practical things that you need to learn. There are just so many things and, and you do, you get better by doing it. And I'll give you another tip. So here's another thing with young writers. I'm in a room with you and Wiseman and all I do is get coffee and I come back and go, that was a blue, clear sky. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm in the room with DePiro, John Gerard, Mark D. Sanders. And that's all I say. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't say anything. I just inspire you. And I say, I don't like that one. Right. There's going to be days when I mostly write the song and you're listening. And so it's an honored commitment. It's just an honored commitment throughout time. you know. And so be careful of these rules because especially in this town, we're the last songwriter community. I'm not here to denigrate LA or New York. I don't know if there is a writer community as we know it in New York at all. Yeah. It's very splintered and very fractionalized in Los Angeles. We're getting a little bit of that here, but we still know each other. We trust each other. And there's a code. There's laws and there's a code. Mm-hmm. And you better honor that code or, or you'll pay the price, especially long-term. And nobody yeah. wants to do that. So yeah. instant gratification, okay. Just be careful. Make that one other call. Have that conversation up yeah. front. We used to call them uh, word counters. A couple of <laughs> and then they would they'd be like, well, let's pull out this lyric. And uh, actually, there's a Nashville guy that did this to me one time. He's like, I think I did this line and this. And you know, he was going to calculate a percentage based on. And I'm just looking at him like, I have never heard of this. I've been here like. 10 years, I've never heard of this. We're going we're gonna to create a percentage of ownership based on who wrote what. No, that's not how we do it. And well, Jim Beavers, the great Jim Beavers, and I want to brag on Jim because he's the first, maybe ever, certainly in a long time, president of the Country Music Association. He's a songwriter, and I think it's important for a songwriter to hold that lofty role, especially these days. Beavers said one sentence that has resonated with me, Co-writing's never co, rarely co. He said co-writing's rarely co. And young writers like, I got to get my thoughts in in my line. Right. You got to know when to steer and you got to know when to let the other person, you got to know when to drive and when to navigate. If the other person, even if you brought the idea in, is on a roll and taking it where it needs to go, assist. Have an assist. Co-writing's rarely co. And that's probably the smartest damn advice I ever heard on this topic ever. And recognize that. Feed it. Yeah. Hey, have you, so you do your Thursday night things, right? Mm -hmm. Every Thursday night. Um, You, in all the ones that you've been in, have you ever heard a song played on that that just absolutely knocked you sideways? Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you this, Chris. There's a new group almost every Thursday night, a new 20 that come and go. Mm-hmm. rarely do I not hear one, maybe not the song, but part of the song that right. I go, we need to talk. Yeah. You, you hear a little moment of greatness. Um, the one thing that really resonated when you said you, you've got your writers coming out on Thursday and then it's more important that they find their tribe. That's exactly what happened in my life. And my wife, Amy, we met, we met Marv. I met Marv and I brought him in and then I met Troy Verges and he brought Brett and Hillary in. Hillary. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing that we all had in common is no one gave a shit about us. We couldn't get arrested. Well, you had more than that in common. You had a degree of talent. Most people well, okay. did. And you also have, but I'm going to reteach our lessons here. You had discernment. Yeah. I didn't have to tell you, you need to change that line. And even if you didn't get it, 
you appreciated the honesty of each other. Yeah. And you all headed north. And north changes. You can be with the tribe all headed north. And look, life takes over. You have a child. Yeah. You need to pay the bills. You get sick. You've got another career opportunity. Every six months, you need to make sure your tribe's still headed north. And I saw y'all do that. I saw it happen. And it was, you know, I, want, I was on the outside a little bit, but I was certainly close to Marv and Brett and a couple others. And it was just glorious to watch. You were following the advice, every bit of it that we've given on this podcast today, Chris. That's how y'all were different. But uh, what I'm saying is part of it was out of necessity. Yeah. We had to band together to make some sort of noise. And actually we got so frustrated that we're just like, at this, we're going to do what we want to do. And the interesting part is when we decided that we're not even going to make country, we're not even going to try to pitch this to Joe Diffie. Forget that. We're going to do something cool and they can just kiss our ass. Well, do you want to use the word honest? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we did what was really in our heart. And well, amazed. Weren't you living that song at the moment you wrote it? Well, we were definitely living that song. Yeah. Oh. And when I hear that song on the radio to this day, somehow the feeling of me and Amy and our uh, glorious, horrible, hideous Julius Caesar, uh, Caesar Cleopatra love affair, <laughs> that got into it, you know, because I've been happily married to Amy for 20 years. Well, you know what I want to say right now, can I? Because you won't Please. do it on the podcast. What? Talking to the sky. Talking to the sky. You really want to get, and you probably learn a lot about the songwriter's journey. This is not hyperbole, and you know this. It is the best biography I've ever read of anybody, songwriter or not. It's one of the most compelling stories. And Troy Virgis said, have you heard about Amy's book? I said, do you think she'd let me read it? She sent me a copy, and I probably talked to her more than you did for the next year, Chris. I've never wanted to be more involved in something. So y'all do yourself a favor and go get talking to the sky. And I know as the husband, that's, you may not have said that, but I can, and I can say it well, with a, I with a license that I've earned the right to say it. So and we, I did an episode with her on the podcast when it first came out, but yeah. And just to do an update, cause I know Bart, Bart has a huge part just to let everybody listening know in, in talking to this guy because Amy and so did Troy, Amy was pretty much collapsing at the finish line. All right. She had 15 years of work in, she, she loved it. She didn't, you know, then Bart, you came in and you're a serious reader, man. And, uh, and loved it and loved on her for it. And it just, it, it made such a huge difference for her. Well, thank you. It, it really did, man. I've told you though, I needed it more than she did at that moment. And I mean, if we're open to that, it appears, I mean, I knew I was closer to you. I knew Amy some, but we're all besties now. And a great blessing out of talking to the sky was the vehicle yeah. for that. And it was Troy Virgis. I mean, yeah, we're community, was. we're family. And if, if I, if Troy didn't trust me, if you and Amy didn't, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Another reinforcement of the lessons we're giving here today. Chris. Absolutely. Because those like me and Troy and you and Troy, we, I go back 25 years with him. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, it's a songwriter book. It's the life every songwriter that's lived that I care about. So yeah, and it's uh, it's a rough read in some places, and in other places, it's absolutely hysterical. Um, well, man, I know you have other stuff to do, but I really, really, really appreciate you talking to us, Bart. We're doing a uh, a two section of uh, some music business stuff, and we we've, we've gotten a lot of really good feedback on more nuts and bolts music business stuff because. The writers really crave it. You know, it's it's the thing that we that we really need, you know, that, that we're not as good at, that we need people like you to help us with and to watch out for because we we really, you know, we do what we do and you, you know, I'm just saying we appreciate everything you do. Well, right back at you, and I you ask me every month. I love being on this podcast. I particularly love today because I've had a quarter century vantage point of do's and don'ts and NSAI is the only organization you will ever join that will be an important part of your career that doesn't get a piece of your royalties, nor would we ever take them. Thank Eddie Miller, Mary John Wilkin, Christofferson, those writers envision something that doesn't exist like this anywhere else, which is a place for you to go where we're going to love you and hug you and kick your butt at the same time because that's what we're supposed to do while we protect your ability to make a living. Man, I couldn't have said it any better. Um, if you can't tell yet, 
Uh, I'm telling you, without a doubt, 100%, even if you don't live in Nashville, you guys have chapters in most of the major towns. Mm -hmm. It is not expensive to join. And even if it's just a hobby, you know, a lot of our chapters, that's what it is. They're, you're not going to give up your day job to go do this. But you know one thing I promise you? You'll have fun because we speak the language songwriter. And, and, and the other one more thing I'm going to say, there are organizations, there are companies that teach songwriting and evaluate songs. And, and, and that's a very murky world. This guy and this place, these are real people who are on the ground in Nashville day in, day out. They know exactly what's going on. They are hearing songs that are being cut. They know the people that y'all aren't like some, uh, service that's going to kind of just take people well be careful and that'll be my last piece of advice yes. you have to pay for a few things your instruments be careful about paying for a bunch of demos because i believe a really good work tape is almost as effective on most songs these yep. days yep. but when somebody promises you they're going to get you a publishing deal or a record deal run you can't promise that we promise we're going to help you we promise we're going to surround you with other like-minded people. We promise you just what I said. We're going to love you and be tough on you. That's where our promise is in. And we also protect your profession in the middle of doing all that. That's our yeah. promise. Yeah. And you're working at multi-levels, right? You're, 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 you're encountering the writers as they're coming in, but you have a whole other piece of what you do where you're helping guys like me that have done this for 25 yeah. years. But anyway, uh, Bart Herbison, thank you so much. And Hey, if you're not a member, go join. That's it. NashvilleSongwriters.com. Right on. You've been listening to Pitch List, and we'll see you guys soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pitch List, produced in partnership with the American Songwriter Podcast Network. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred listening platform. And if you want, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. For exclusive content from this week's guest and more, you can visit our website at pitchlistpodcast.com or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Plus, don't forget to let us know on social media what songwriter, musician, or music business professional you want to hear from next. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.